0: to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Red Church. So good to be together again. My name's Brittany. I am the PM pastor here. Um, And yeah, it's great to be back for the year. I'm looking forward. We're going to meet every week from here now. Um, January's been wonderful, but I'm really excited to get stuck in to what God has for this year. Um, there's such an excitement about the place, even just standing here now singing with you all. Like, it was so good to hear so many voices um, join together. So yeah, really excited to be here um, for what is our Vision Sunday service for the 5 p.m. Um, there's so much happening, as Daniel had already shared, um, and I'm just yeah, looking forward to sharing with you. It's one of those times of the year that we get to actually consider what God has for us for this year um, to look at the vision for this service. Um, and I'm really excited to do that with you. And I also just want to start by saying that he actually does have a vision for you and for this service. Let's just start on the truth of that. And I'm going Yeah going to head into that, share that with you. I've been sitting with God for a little while, um, just considering what this might look like, really wanting to ask him what does he want to do in this place and in this time and with these people um, that are in this room, but also the people that are to come. So he has a vision for 2019. But before I jump into that, I want to share something with you, an experience I had at the end of last year. I was invited to a meeting with a bunch of um, young adult leaders, um, in Richmond, and these leaders were from all across Victoria. I was really excited to enter into the room to be like, "Oh my gosh, these are from churches in the west, the east, south, um, and just to connect north." Well, I say that. Um, they were there, um, just to connect. What God's What is God doing in your church? How is He moving in this city? And it was a really, really wonderful time to do that. Um, and they kind of got us, the people that led it to have like kind of deeper conversations. It was a bit hard, you know, you've just met someone, but they asked some really good questions about what we were excited about and what actually we're struggling with within that space, within our churches. And the more conversations I had, the harder it kind of got. There was this sense that um, something was afoot, and it's something that I've noticed in my life and around me, and I'm sure you've probably noticed it in yours, and it came up Time and again, the different people I spoke to from different places around this state. And it's something that's been happening slowly, and it's this sense of people actually leaving our congregations. There's a sense in which people are disappearing. And it was really hard to have these conversations and be really honest about what was going on, and actually to feel that heartache myself, and to witness that in the person I was talking to. And I don't think it's just for the young adult generation. I think it actually represents something that's going on in our city. Unfortunately, some of the stats will actually point us in that direction and be- make us believe that that's what's happening. But why is it happening in such a great place like Melbourne? What's going on? Why is there such a pool? Why are people just slowly disappearing? I think we live in such a wonderful city. I love Melbourne. I um, went to tennis not long ago, and I love the Australian Open, just everyone's there, there's tennis and there's a whole bunch of other stuff as well, as you know. But yeah, what a great city we live in, so many opportunities, so many great churches, so many things happening here, and yet we talk about it, and I don't think we can talk about it enough. There is this pervasive ideology, though, that was within this city, that we kind of live in and have grown up in, so perhaps we're not as aware of it. It's something that's developed over the last 200 years, and it's strong but it can almost seem silent in its pool. For over 2,000 years, we have followed in the West the teachings of Jesus, his teaching on what, good, what is good and right. And that has been the basis for our morals, for our understanding. It's been our compass for life. But over the last 200 years, there's been a shift from that. All sparked and inspired by a German philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, a guy who you may know of, who said, God is dead, a guy who wrote about the fact that actually there's no more place for religion in modern society. And from that statement, there's been many other advanced thinkers, we'll call them, who've taken this and run with it, and have decided to say that actually the secularization of our city and our our nature and intellect is the way to go, free of any dependence on Jesus, He's great, but we might just leave him. So our understanding and basis of moral is no longer on Jesus. As you can imagine, um, Frederick or Nietzsche, however you want to... That guy, who, um, who you can think would probably have a really negative view of Jesus, after saying the statement that God is dead, later on writes about the fact that he was beginning to see the effects of that very statement in his own lifetime. He wrote, he wrote about the result of it. And he said that he believed cataclysmic changes were to come because of it. Do you know what? They have come. We are bearing witness to this. Mm. We're seeing it in the utter confusion in our society as morals constantly change. What's right? What's not right? Where do I stand? Who am I? How do I understand myself? How do I present myself? What can I say? What can't I say? What's the ultimate truth? There is so much change in our society. It's chaotic to live in. It's tiring. It's confusing. But it offers this freedom. Life without Jesus, without all those rules. I don't know about you, but I'm not seeing a lot of freedom. I'm actually seeing a lot of people confused. I'm seeing a lot of people deceived. I'm seeing a lot of people trapped. I find that really hard to witness because these people that I'm talking about are people that are close to me. These people that I'm talking about are people that are close to you. People that maybe are in your family, that have been your friends, that you have walked alongside at some stage in your faith and now they are no longer there. They've been pulled by the allure of this ideology and they've become a shadow of themselves. It's difficult to watch. My heart aches for these people. I am sick of this phenomenon happening. I'm tired of people being taken out by this. I am tired of crying for friends and family who have walked away. And I'm sure you are too, right? I'm not alone in this feeling, in this desire to see more, this grief. And so as I spent time reflecting on that meeting and considering what is actually happening in this generation. When I say generation, I'm not just talking about an age bracket. I'm talking about the people of God at this time. What is going on, God? I was wrestling with him. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what I've felt. What's the actual truth? Slowly but surely, as I sat in that grief, these words came to me, and it was, it was my thoughts. But I was like, God, are we that lost generation? are we going to be the lost generation? As I considered that, as I began to feel more of that grief, I realized that actually the grief I was feeling was just a minuscule experience of what God actually feels, of His grief for His people. And as I sat there and considered this, as I considered what last year looked like, what God's been up to, what he wants to do, what I felt like God said, what I heard him say, is I want the hearts of my people back. I want the hearts of my people back. And when God goes ask for your heart, He's fierce. He chases you down. He leaves the 99 to find the one. I want the hearts of my people back. And not just back to the way things were. God said to me, not just back to kind of the humdrum of faith, actually back for more because I want to do more. I want to see these people flourish. Britt, I want to see you flourish. His desire is to see that in each and every one of us. This is what he showed me, this is what he said. He said, no, this is not a lost generation, this is a generation that has a place. A people whose transformed lives will rewrite the script of this generation, this city and this nation. He said to me, they will be a people of freedom who will bring colour and life and light and joy and hope and paint this city in colours once again. They will leave kingdom trails in their wake. Imagine. Who will bring about the kingdom of Jesus to rule and reign in our homes, in our families, In universities, in healthcare, in governments, in councils, in all areas, that's what he's saying over us. That our lives are to be a sign and symbol that actually God's not dead. He is so at work in this time and place. This is what he said. This is what he sees in each and every one of you as you sit in this room. He's speaking this over you. He knows what lies within you because he made you and he's saying to you, come alive. He's whispering to your soul, come alive. Come alive and dream and hope with me. He wants to reawaken us to begin to see ourselves, to begin to see what he sees in this world. For you, for me, for this service, to begin to see what he sees for this city, for this nation. Toza said, The soul has eyes with which to see and ears with which to hear. Feeble they may be from long disuse, but by the life-giving touch of Christ, they are now alive and capable of sharpest sight and most sensitive hearing. As we begin to focus upon God, the things of the Spirit will take shape before our inner eyes. He has a vision. Do you wanna see it? Sorry, do you wanna see it? Yeah, great, just checking. Will you let him show you? Will you come close to him? As I was thinking about this, he gave me another image. When he said, will you come close, there was this image of coming so close to God that you could feel his breath on your cheek. That close. He wants to draw us in. As he whispers, you hear it and feel it come alive. That's the invitation. But standing before God can be pretty scary. I understand that. I know that myself. He's holy and he's righteous and he is big and he is awesome and we can't fully fathom him, which makes him so exciting and a little bit frightening at the same time. I get that. And there's a sense in which sometimes we feel like we're too messy or too dirty or too something to come before him. We create a lot of excuses. I do this myself as well. That's why we spend so much time of kind of avoiding it but he's saying, no, come close. And it's so, so important to realize that when God says come close, he's not coming to rebuke you. He doesn't, you don't arrive with a scowl on his face. He actually smiles at you. When he says come close, he's beaming at you. He's excited to see you. He desires to spend time with you more than you will know. He's smiling at us. So will you come close? Will you let his love find you? Will you let his love ground you? Will you let his love shape you, redefine you, and awaken you? And we can be confident of his love and that he wants to do this. Because, as it says in Ephesians 1 11 to 12, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. We can be confident. And I am confident and believe this is true. To witness what his love is capable of. Because I've seen it in my own life. And do you know what? I've also seen it in many of yours. It's already happening. He's already awakening us. We are just the beginning of what he's doing. Mine is not the only story, but it's the one that I have to tell. When I turned up to Red, you may have heard this story before, but it is my testimony. When I turned up to Red, it was about seven years ago, I was at that point of deciding whether to go with what the culture was saying or to continue on with my life with God. Had a pretty rough time in the lead up to it and I was really sitting in that spot, actually genuinely thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe I should just give it a go. God, if you are real, if you say that you're King and Lord, please make yourself known because this is it. Decision's gonna be made, I'm walking away. I'm so thankful that in that moment, when I sat in a room, not, like, not much just, actually just like this, sitting up the back, God did turn up. And he said to me, yeah, I see you. Yeah, you have a place. Yes, I am real. And they weren't exactly in those words, it was in the words that I was hearing and it was the sense that I got I've never experienced God so closely before like that. It was deep within me. And I was so thankful that he did that. That he reminded me that actually, no, he is still at work. And in the last seven years, he's invited me into that time and again. Reminded me, actually, I am still at work, Britt. I'm doing things. Your life is significant. There is a place for you. Believe it come alive when I first came to red I'd sit up the back I used to let other people talk for me I was afraid to speak can you imagine that it's true though the ability to stand here today is because of what God said over me the healing he's done in me and not only that to have others alongside me who say actually Brit you have a voice Oh no, God, Brett, you have a voice. And I'm still learning. What does that look like, God? Why have you given me a voice? What am I designed to do? This is not just my story, though. I'm not something special or unique. I just belong to the king, as do you. And this is what he wants to do in all of us. And it's so funny, the more this happened, the more that he's been doing in my life, I've experienced this new feeling One that I knew as a child, but I think I lost along the way. It's called joy. And I just want more of it. Joy is so fun. (laughs) Right? There's something amazing about it. You can't quite grasp it, but when you're in it, you know it. And you just want it to last forever. (laughs) But joy is not dependent on circumstances. So these last seven years, I'm not going to say they've been really easy. They've been hard but they've been filled with God's joy. And that's what joy is. It can be a place or an emotion that we feel. Even in suffering, there is joy. Or there can be. And sometimes we kind of feel silly with joy because it takes us back to this childish kind of place. Do you know why else? Because joy makes us vulnerable. But it's good. God designed us to live in joy. And do you know, the more that he's invited me into things, the more he's spoken things over the, my, my life to believe that he is good to live into joy, to actually experience that. He's reminded me time and again of a really important verse, something that grounds me so often. It's from Nehemiah 8.10, and it says, "'The joy of the Lord is your strength.'" Right? Even though we feel vulnerable, it's actually a strength, that joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And do you know it's okay to desire joy? Happiness, not so much. Joy, I mean, we want to be happy. Let me be clear on that. But joy, to desire joy is good. Do you know why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. And because God is joy. So you're actually just desiring God, which is what He loves. It's what you're wired for as well. That's why you hunger for it so much. In Psalm 16, 11, it says, In God's presence there is fullness of joy. I can't tell you how many times I go into my Sabbath as the biggest Grumposaurus. Yes, I said Grumposaurus. <laughs> oh, man, I just wander into Sabbath in such a state and mood. And I can't tell you, every time I leave, I'm filled with joy. And I... I will admit, again, it's not like God hasn't done hard work in that time or I've encountered some really interesting things on my Sabbath. I have a story for you all. Um, But won't tell it now. But it's incredible what a change occurs. And I've actually had housemates say to me, Britt, you're more you when you come home from Sabbath. You bring joy with you. I'm like, oh, cool. I just walk in it. I didn't realize that. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And there's one of his greatest delights, and we enter into that. And we say, yeah, I want to feel that and walk in that and believe in it. And joy comes to us in quite ordinary moments. I think that's why we're good at it as kids, because we kind of live ordinary lives as kids, right? Getting an icy pole is like the height of your day. (laughs) They do a lot of ordinary things, but they're capable of experiencing joy. When we're chasing after the extraordinary, we miss out on those moments of joy. They're simple, little things. A couple of years ago, I was waiting in line with Autumn, my niece, for some sort of Christmas event. Couldn't tell you what it was. But we're in Maya, and there was music on. And I was like, man, this line is long. And so I was like, hey, let's dance. She freaked out. So I started dancing, and she was like, Auntie B, what are you doing? And just was like real nervous. I just kept dancing because I'm like, she'll join me. She will. And then she just went for it. She just was like, oh, yeah, okay. So we're dancing in this line. And I was like, so joy, so much joy in such a simple little thing. But I loved it. It's in those little moments that we experience joy. Us being ourselves. Brene Brown, who is a um, researcher in vulnerability and who you should definitely check out some of her TED Talks. They're incredible. Um, she said that the more you lean into joy, the more you cultivate hope. The more you lean into joy, the more you cultivate hope. There's a reason why the enemy doesn't want us to do that. Because hope is dangerous. And why? Why do I say that? Because hope draws people together. It's hope that ignites and inspires change. It is hope that lets us dream again and believe again. It's hope. That is the fuel to bring down strongholds. It is through hope in Jesus and his kingdom that lives are restored, families put back together, generations rescued and cities saved. And that's not a hope we create or we strive for, no. It's not by our might or our power, but by the spirit of God and a hope in a God and king who will move this city and this time and this place. God has a vision for your life. Will you believe it? Will you step into it? Will you embrace those moments of joy and let them build hope in you and watch as it does in others? Will you come alive? What happens when when God's word goes out? What is it like to receive a word from God or, or something that he is speaking over us and into us? We'll actually want to look at a passage that helps us unpack that. So we're going to go to Isaiah 55, which if you want to look in the Maroon Bibles in front of you, that's on page 513. Isaiah 55. from verse 1. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, no good, does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you'll li- you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you don't know. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are, not, are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. You will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honour to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. This has been a really significant passage for me for a couple of years now. And there's so much within it. That invitation in verse 4 to come. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you'll find life. what he's saying to us. Listen, come close. He wants to deposit something. It's his love. His unfailing love, it says in that verse. And it's not a once-off. This invitation is one that is always open to come time and again. And we need that. I need that, to hear that word, to be assured of his promise of love. This invitation is too good to refuse and too urgent to delay. Why would we wait? Another part that stands out is, see how I used him to display my power among the peoples in verse 4. There's nothing more powerful than a transformed life. What he's doing in your life, what he's doing in my life, it begins to witness to others. Whether we say it or not, the transformation of your life has an impact on the people around you. They begin to see it and want to know, what's the source? Where is this coming from? See how I used him to display my power among their peoples. That's what he's doing. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. God is calling us to be a people that not just believe that he's alive, but put that belief into action by seeking him. To be a generation that seeks him. That's what he's calling us to. To be confident in him. Verse 7, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. Do you know what? It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how long it's been since you let him in, since you let him have your heart. It doesn't matter if you've never given it to him. His response is always the same. But perhaps you're thinking, Britt, you don't really know what's happened in my life, though. There's this part of me that I could never let him see. That's true. I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know what decisions you've made. I don't know what's happened to you. But I am confident that no matter what has happened, his response is still the same. His love and acceptance is still the same because, as it says in Romans 5:8. Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. We can be assured of that. It's already happened. Jesus covered it all. There aren't just little parts that it's like, oh, I didn't quite get that. No, you got it all. His answer is always yes, come closer. Yes, you have a place. Yes, you belong here. Yes, you are enough. There's nothing he can't restore, redeem, heal, renew. He's the creator of the universe. He can do anything in you. Do you believe it? What is required of us, as this verse tells us, it's admitting that those things are holding us back. Bringing them before God and saying, do you know what? I don't want to live that way anymore. Oh, Father, this is something so big. Please take it. Heal it. I choose your way, God. Please free me from this. It requires us to be humble, to bring everything before him. Verse 8, and this is the one that gets me every time. Mm -hmm. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Cannot tell you how many times Holy Spirit has brought that to mind (laughs) in a really great way. When I've planned everything I want to do, where I'm headed, what things are going to look like, the life I want, and that doesn't happen. And then I hear, Britt, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. But thank goodness that he knows better. Thank goodness that he has a bigger vision because I'd still be sitting in the back row. And it's the same for you. What vision does he have for your life? It may not look like what you think it's going to look like, but there's something exciting about that because his imagination is so much bigger than ours. We need that. We hunger for it. If we know about it, it's not as exciting. Again, that's something we desire. He's saying, come alive. Let me show you what I've made you for. Let me show you who you are. Finally, verse 10 and 11, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accom- accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. His word floods us and fills us and we are so thirsty for it. Sometimes we spend our lives looking everywhere else and then finally when we hear that word from God when we sit in his word, there's nothing more satisfying. Jesus said in John, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That is the king we serve and we belong to and he's always there wanting to speak things there into us through his word, through his presence. And as it says in that verse, God's word, as he sends it out, it always produces fruit. It causes us to grow. When you come close to God, when he says to you, come alive, that very breath created the ground you stand on. And so when he speaks things over to you, when that breath enters you, he's recreating you, he's restoring you. There's going to be growth. And whether we see it immediately or not, we can believe in that statement that his word always produces fruit. It'll accomplish what he wants it to. It causes us to come alive. The things that lay dormant in us that we don't even know about, but he was so excited to place in us, he breathes on it and it begins to show and grow and have an impact on our lives and the people around us. Come alive, he says. What is the result of this word? What is the result of God speaking these things over us? We read about it in verse 12 and 13. That you will live in joy and peace. And friends, we can believe that. I believe it. And I want to continue to live my life in that. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, metals will sprout up. Even in our scars and the things that we think will always wound us, God says, no, there's growth there. There's healing there. That is not going to entrap you anymore. Whatever that looks like, it's not going to have a hold on your life. And these events, these things that he does as they grow in us and through us will bring great honour to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and his love. This is his vision for you. To come alive. To let him speak over you and into you. To be an everlasting sign. To allow our lives to be an everlasting sign of his power and love to this generation and the generations to come. Will you step into it? This year, we're going to take time to come and listen to him. We're going to spend time together reading the word, listening to his voice, understanding who he is. What does he sound like? What does he do? We're going to be authentic in our worship of God, spending weeks genuinely just worshipping him. Some Sundays we're going to come and just spend time in his presence and honouring him and glorifying him as he speaks over us. And we're also going to share a story. There's going to be testimonies throughout this year of where he's at work, of the triumphs and the struggles, to begin to rewrite that script that actually he is at work so we can see it in one another's lives, the people that you're sitting next to, the people that you're doing faith with, to be excited about the way He's moving, not just in your life, but in every individual in this room. This congregation is going to be a place to be honest, to be authentic about the real struggles, to ask for help, to receive prayer and healing. Not only that, this is going to be a place of challenge, a place of growth, because that is what we need. God is calling us to something bigger and he wants us to grow into it. And so those are gonna grow hand in hand, a place where God is at work, and a place to say to one another, God's truth, to champion each other on, to come alive, to keep speaking that, believing it. And we can't do this alone, we're not meant to, we're meant to do it together. And I can't wait for the people that he's gonna bring through these doors as we celebrate this, as we do this more. And not only that, for the impact it's going to have on our city, on the people around us. You have the authority in Jesus' name in your life to change history with God. The cards that you found in your seat, I want you to take it out right now. Pop it in your hands. This card is something to keep for the year. And right now, I want you to turn it over and get out a pen. I'll uh, let you do that. And I want you to write down one thing that you are going to actively step into to say, yes, God, I want to come alive. Whatever he may have said to you as I've been speaking, maybe it's to put down a lie that you've believed. Maybe it's to actually enter into his word more. Maybe it's to begin to pray, to see that in your life and in the lives around you. I want you to write one thing, because this one thing can change the directory of this year. And we choose to step into something. So right now, I'm going to get you to do that. Write down one thing. And let's be confident in what we write. Let's be bold. You may need some more time to do that, which you will now have. Gonna get the worship team to come up. But we are going to take communion now. And so whatever it is that you end up writing down, I want you to take that with you and hold it as something to remind yourself with. As you go and take communion, if you are here for the first time with us, how we have communion is on the sides here. You take a cracker and dip it into the juice and then spend some time um, with God around the table. But also as you take the bread and the juice and you hold a physical representation of that promise, I want you to believe in what God's going to do to be bold and confident in that as you take communion and trust in the king that is bringing his kingdom to the city is bringing his kingdom into your life